With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. How would you like to ramp up your club's game day atmosphere? Big Screen Video is giving 10 lucky sports clubs the chance to win a $10,000 grant towards their own digital scoreboard. Register now at iCanWin.com.au slash BSV. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. This is SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ballin for Smithy. Well, he's on the road with the Cricket World Cup. Coming up on the show today, as you would have heard uh, before with uh, Kempi, Izzy and Louie on Baz and Izzy for breakfast, Gary Stead, the Black Caps coaches, going to be on the show around half past nine to talk about this new Black Caps squad that's been named to face the Netherlands. Uh, it's an interesting makeup in terms of a squad, given, of course, we are missing Kane Williamson, Finn Allen, Trent Bolt, Devin Conway, Lockie Ferguson, Jimmy Neesham, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Glenn Phillips, Mitch Santner, Tim Seifert and Tim Southey. That's 12 big names that aren't there. Those guys are all at the IPL and we are playing the Netherlands in a T20 and then three ODI matches as well. And they go towards, uh, the, the results of these ODIs go towards the um, ICC's uh, World Series of ODIs, so rankings are important. But Michael Bracewell is uh, is in the team, uh, which is an interesting addition. Of course, he scored a lot of runs, and so did Dane Cleaver, uh, the wicketkeeper from CD. You know who Dane Cleaver's cousin is? Hemi. Kane Williamson. Whoa! Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, keeping it, keeping some uh, some some Williamson DNA in the team. So we'll talk to uh, Gary Stead about that. A little bit later on in the show. Also, um, Shai Davidi uh, is a Sportsnet baseball columnist out of uh, Toronto, and we're going to talk uh, the Major League Baseball lockout, how that has been resolved, who's come out of it looking good, who's not. We'll talk some player moves and also Canada's vaccine rules and what that means for certain players out of the States when it comes to the season getting underway. Our Dilma expertise panel will feature Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good as well. We're going to tackle the Black Cap squad, COVID impacts on Super Rugby, Chelsea. FA Cup drama and Warriors lineup changes for round two against the Titans. And after 11, uh, Ravinda Hunia from Sky Sports is going to talk to us about the UFC. Dan, the hangman hooker against Arnold Allen this Sunday, uh, dropping back down a weight class as well. We'll get his take on how Dan Hooker has uh, dealt with that cut and that move and if that is the right move for him going forward. So that is how the show looks. Uh, but also, uh, just arrived from Beijing is Adam Hall. And uh, he's part of our Winter Paralympian, uh, Paralympian team. He has done exceedingly well. He's won a bronze in the men's slalom standing. He's, it's his fifth games. He now has five Paralympic medals and we're going to talk to him right 
now. Adam Hall of New Zealand, the next out, the start up, his advantage over Burnham, 0.43 of a second. And Hall, well, he is a two-time slalom champion at the Paralympic Winter Games. He's a master of precision, is Adam Hall. He's at 82.10% for his factor. He uses that a good advantage, but it means he has to be millimeter perfect. And so far, so good for Adam Hall. Up to 1.38, yet more great skiing from Adam Hall in Beijing. Got a pointed straight now for the finish. Try to take some last momentum in his final four gates. 157.10, he's home, and he's home by 2.33 seconds. We've seen some amazing skiing in the last couple of runs. Uh, joining us now is Adam Hall, Kiwi Alpine skier, and uh, of course, multiple Paralympic medalist as well. G'day, Adam. Welcome home. Yeah, good morning. Yeah, thank you very much. It uh, is certainly good to, to be home. Yeah, I bet, mate. I bet. I mean, what's uh, what's next for you now? I mean, uh, in terms of around MIQ and stuff, are you can you go straight home and, and isolate from home now, or you, do you have to go into a hotel for a bit? Um, yes, yeah, so obviously, over the last kind of for us a couple of months while we've been away, and then in the last even four weeks, there's been some progressive uh, changes uh, around MIQ and what the uh, procedures may be, starting with initially thinking that we were going to be two weeks in a hotel and then 10 days and then change to home isolation. Um, yeah, so for me, it's uh, yeah straight back home to, to family, um, which is really good to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and we got our, our rapid test uh, as we entered the country in the early hours of this morning. So we'll do one today. I've done one already. Um, and then the, the next one in a couple of days' time. It should be good to go. Yeah, it should be good to go. Well, that's great to hear, mate. And uh, how was the experience? I mean, I know this is, I think, your fifth Games. I mean, how was it fifth time round for you? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely it's the fifth games uh, this time around in, in Beijing and yeah obviously a little bit of a different um, games in, in regards to the protocols and, and COVID and things like that so you know it was a, I guess a little bit more of, a, of an eerie feeling if you like with not having any family and friends uh, that were able to attend at all uh, but I think you know that um, gave way for some of the amazing uh, broadcasting that, that was able to happen and, and bring and showcase, uh, you know, what it is that we do as athletes and, and bring that to, to people's homes and, and communities, I think, which has been really cool to, to get and, and give that exposure to New Zealanders and, and the global audience. You got bronze in the men's slalom standing this time around to go with the two golds you picked up in 2010 and 2018 and the, the silver you picked up at Lillehammer uh, last year. Um, in terms of competition, how, how well do you know your competition now? Because I imagine that, that you see a lot of familiar faces. Yeah, so, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, we've been restricted with the amount of competitions and with travel that we have or have not been able to do, so... You know, leading into this season, it was our first kind of major competitions in a couple of years, especially World Champs uh, and, and Hammer earlier in the year. And, you know, that we've still been able to keep tabs on, on our competition and, and any threats that we may see coming through during that time. Um, you know, so for any competitions that, that we're able to go ahead and just kind of keep tabs on, on you know, the rest of our competitors. And it's, you know, been really important to, uh, you know, to be able to do that. Um, you know, and to get back into competition mode this this past season, and uh, you know, get a bit of a benchmark of where we were uh, leading into World Champs, and then at World Champs as well. Um, you know, that's probably the most difficult challenge when you have World Champs that were postponed from last season to this season. 
to perform, you know, as, as good as you can there and then back that up with, uh, you know, Paralympic campaign. Uh, big challenge, but, you know, we were able to, to walk towards that challenge and, um, you know, mission accomplished, if you like. Yeah, it's very much so. Uh, congratulations on making the podium again and, and, and picking up that bronze medal. Uh, I mean, it looked to me, uh, watching from back here, that there was very little separating the athletes in this. I mean, how fine are the margins between, I don't know, say, getting, winning gold, winning bronze, finishing ninth? Yeah, I mean... It... In all the events, to be honest, and you know, always in particular in slalom, just because of the technicality of the event, it is it is very stacked in there. Uh, you know, between the top ten, you could you could say that any of the top ten athletes have won a world championship medals. I've been Paralympic medalists. of you know, regular uh, occurrence on the podium at World Cups as well. And so, you know, for me, it's just about going about my processes the best that I possibly can. And you know, that's a great thing about competing is that you're always at a different and a new event um, the majority of the time and depending on the hill and the conditions and being able to you know I guess adapt to what you have in front of you um, you know and, and make the least amount of mistakes is, is the ones that are who are always going to be I guess the, the best rewarded um, and you know it's right across the board as well even in the speed events you know it's, it's pretty tight in there as well um, you know the margins are are pretty pretty tight and pretty close, and again, that's you know the exciting thing about I guess the, the speed event to the to the technical event of slalom is you know having one extreme to the other and being you know having the opportunity to compete right across all those events and uh, yeah, such a, a competitive sport is pretty cool. How can you prepare? for that sort of competition in terms of, you know, you talk about those really fine margins. Um, how can you prepare so that you make sure that that little fine margin here or there uh, goes in your favour? Yeah, I guess it's just, uh, you know, for me personally, trusting trusting my processes, uh, trusting, um, I guess, the experiences that I have had throughout my career um, that helped get me through. You know, there's always things that, that can happen and challenges that, that come up in front of you and they always seem to happen at the at the big event, if you like. And so it's just putting yourself in a frame of mind that you can, uh, you know, believe in yourself, trust yourself uh, and know that you can kind of overcome and, and walk towards any challenge and uh, come out the other end uh, the best that you possibly can and, and be rewarded with um, yeah what what you and what we believe we can we can accomplish and do and so yeah it's, it's just going back to those processes of trying to leave no stone unturned and you know obviously the last couple of years have definitely put some some challenges and, and barriers in front of us but I think we've been able to work along those and work through the different challenges and overcome them and um, you know again having one of the most successful campaigns uh, I think in, in 20 years or whatever it may be is you know been really amazing and you would have seen some of the work that we had done for instance around the VR project um, which was pretty pretty unique and pretty cool um, for New Zealand to for us I guess as a nation to have such technology available to us to try and get the gaining edge uh, amongst our competitors and you know, also work on things outside of, of our sport that uh, would help us as well. So it's, you know, all in all kind of been refreshing at the same time, but also been, you know, extremely challenging. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a journey the last couple of years. And I think that goes, 
you know, for, for all sport and uh, all sports people around the country. How much input off the slopes uh, do you have in helping develop that sort of technology and, and the, those, uh, I guess, processes and tools to, to help other athletes? How much have you done yourself? Yeah, I mean, I guess from a from a development point of view, we're always just trying to uh, you know promote our sport uh, of para alpine skiing or snowboarding as well, and just yeah, the whole para winter sports and in, in general, and you know trying to to develop kind of the next generation of blood within our sport because you know eventually the time will come where you know the the boots will be hung up. Um, you know, with current athletes and whatever it may be, and even at, at the games that we've just seen, there's been a number of athletes worldwide that you know had competed at their last games, and so I think you know for New Zealand, it's uh, you know important to be able to focus on on the development of the sport and and get some you know interest in there, and just yeah, get to get the exposure out there to know you know what is possible, and to know that we are here, there are programs available, and um, you know to try and. Uh, you know, promote the sport to, to have the, the next champions out there. I mean, you're 34 now, as I mentioned. You've had you've had five uh, games behind you. What do you feel like you've got left to achieve? Have you, have you got another one in you, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think time will just tell uh, and we'll see what's around the corner. And, yeah, right now, I guess the focus is just being back home and enjoying the successes that we've just had and be able to, to celebrate that because we kind of really haven't had the chance and the opportunity to do that uh, this time round with, you know, not having family and friends up there supporting us. Mm. You know, we've we've come together really great as a as a team, as a tight knit team, which has been awesome and been able to, you know, celebrate within our team. But yeah, now it's time to kind of go out there with our respective families and friends and loved ones and yeah, do do the same and, and similar thing. And um, yeah, just I guess also with the awareness around that as well, following and, and just keeping up to date with uh, the old COVID protocols as they as they change and, and you know it looks like we're coming into a back into New Zealand as is you know a bit of a the peak around COVID I guess you'd say um, so yeah just kind of keeping an eye on that and I mean we've had numerous amounts of experience around that in the last um, yeah few months. What about uh, the conditions in Beijing? I, I noticed during the uh, the games uh, there were a few athletes talking about the manufactured snow that, that was being used, about it being quite icy and quite slippery and, and quite hard if you had a fall. How did, how did you find those conditions? Yeah, I mean, the, the conditions in China definitely 100% man-made snow. Um, you know, and the idea of, of doing that in the games being in Beijing, I think, was to try and just reduce as well the amount of weather days that you may have. You know, so they don't have to rely on weather storms and stuff coming in. Uh, but we did end up getting quite a lot of wind, um, which did cause, you know, some delays from time to time as well. Uh, but, you know, that's very similar to conditions to what we have here in New Zealand. And that was actually at one point um, I was comparing it to the conditions at Snow Planet as well. So, you know, over last summer, that was something that I was able to have a little bit of experience with and had a couple of training camps up here in Auckland at Snow Planet, uh, which I think, really helped over the summer keep that snow feel and yeah for us we kind of credit ourselves on being able to adapt and change to any conditions in front of us and um, yeah it was 
it changed daily. It changed a lot, so we just had to keep on top of it. Now, your uh, most successful event on this on the slopes has been the men's slalom standing, but you've also competed in downhill super G giant slalom as well. Do you have a, a preferred event? I mean, maybe you're not as successful at it, but the one that you really enjoy. Yeah, I guess um, downhill is a thrilling sport. It's all about the adrenaline. It's all about yeah, the, the speed and and kind of pushing the limits to the absolute edge. Um, and then all the way to the slalom, uh, to the, you know, most technical event. So probably, you know, between those speed events to the technical events, it's kind of got their respected challenges, but all very good. Yeah, great, great. All right, Adam. Hey, listen, thanks very much for giving us some time. I know you just got home, mate. Uh, really appreciate it. Welcome home uh, and enjoy that time catching up with family and friends and, and celebrating your success again. And, and well done again, uh, making New Zealand proud, uh, meddling again for us uh, at a fifth Olympic Games. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 9.23 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. No Ian Smith, though, because, of course, he is on the road uh, with the Cricket World Cup. And uh, there was a game of the Cricket World Cup yesterday. It saw the Australians um, absolutely hammer. Uh, the West Indies, uh, which was unfortunate, really. I mean, given what we'd seen from the West Indies so far... I thought they, they they might be a chance of giving the Aussies a bit of a hurry up, uh, and maybe that would have been better if they had batted second. But they decided to go first, bat first, and it didn't go well for them. Uh, they started started badly because uh, they just lost too many wickets too early, and unfortunately against a team like Australia, uh, as we found out, you know, with the White Ferns, it's it's hard to recover from that, and uh, as a result, uh, you know the. The Windies could not set the Australians enough runs to make it competitive. And the Aussies got the chase done with 20 overs to spare. I mean, uh, Hayley Matthews uh, was out for a duck first over. Uh, Kaisia Knight out for a first ball duck following that. And then, uh, you know, Deandra Dotton, who's been a hero of the Windies uh, at this World Cup so far, just uh, the manager the 16. Stephanie Taylor, the captain, the definition of a captain's knock. She, uh, she hit 50 off 91. So 50 out of the 131 they posted came from her bat. Shemaine uh, Campbell tried to stay there with her captain. Uh, she scored 20, but ultimately the Windies all out for 131 in the 46th over. And Australia chased that down. 132 for three. Uh, they did struggle a little bit at the top. So that pitch might have been doing a wee bit. Uh, uh, Alyssa Healy was caught in Bob Matthews for three early on. And then Meg Lanning, the Aussie captain, was out for a duck, a six-ball duck, not long after. But Rachel Haynes, uh, the other opener, finished 83, not out. Elise Perry also went for 10. So off 31 balls. So obviously it wasn't that easy to score out there. But Beth Mooney uh, helped Rachel Haynes get things through with an unbeaten 28 as well. And uh, today, England versus India. And uh, looking forward to this game because it very much feels like a must-win for both teams, particularly England. Uh, England have started 0-3. You're going to need to win at least four games to make the semi-finals. So England pretty much have to win out. It's like every game for them from here in is a knockout game. And, uh, you know, from an Indian point of view as well, uh, they still have to play Australia. So they can't afford another loss really either. Uh, they've already had one. They got beaten by the Windies, of course, as well. They have had two wins. Uh, they have played uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh and, and, and picked up a couple of wins. Uh, but, yeah, it's not going to be... Easy for them from here on either because I think uh, they they have to play uh, South Africa 
they uh, will have to play. Um, obviously, England they have to play, um, and they have to play Australia as well. So uh, they've got some games coming up. The Indian women that are going to be uh, pretty tough for them, and uh, looking forward to uh, to seeing how this England India games. Um, how, how this England-India game is going to play out because, uh, well, really, the loser, I think, you can just about write off. And particularly if it's England, I think you can write them off. So looking forward to seeing that get underway. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking to Gary Stead shortly, the Black Caps coach. Uh, a team has been named to play the Netherlands, and it is a team where we're missing 12 players at the IPL. Kane Williamson, Finn Allen, Trent Bolt, Devin Conway, Lockie Ferguson, Jimmy Neesham, Adam Milne, Daryl Mitchell, Glenn Phillips, Mitch Santner, Tim Seifert and Tim Southey are all missing from this Black Caps team. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, a very different looking Black Caps outfit, isn't it? Uh, now they, they play a T20 match first and then they play three ODIs. And uh, this is what the squad looks like. So for the T20 squad, it's Tom Latham as captain and, and uh, wicketkeeper potentially as well. Doug Bracewell, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Dane Cleaver, who's a wicketkeeper batsman as well uh, out of Central Districts, Colin de Gronholm, Martin Guptill, Matt Henry, Scott Kugeline, Ben Sears, Ish Sodi, Blair Tickner and Will Young. And there's a couple of changes for the ODI side. Dane Cleaver drops out. Uh, the ODI squad looks like this. Tom Latham to captain and wicketkeep. Doug Bracewell, Michael Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Colin de Gronholm, Martin Guptill. Matt Henry comes in, as does Kyle Jamison. Uh, and then Henry Nichols, Ish Sodi, Ross Taylor. Blair Tickner and Will Young. So there's a few changes there, but it'd be interesting to see how that lines up and uh, looking forward to talking to Gary Stead about that in just a little while. Keen to get your thoughts on that. And if you've got any questions for Gary Stead about how they went around uh, picking the squad, maybe somebody that's missed out that you thought deserved a shot, or somebody that's there that you're scratching your head about. Uh, if you've got one of those questions, fire it through to us now, and uh, I will put that to Gary Stead for you. The Temper Bedpost text machine number is double eight double three. Temper and Bedpost, like no other, it's a range of mattresses and adjustable bases that adapt to the exact shape of your body, so you can put your head and feet up in comfort. Uh, just updating you on the scores in the Champions League. We're about half an hour in at the moment into those Champions League matches and currently nil all between Ajax and Benfica and nil all between Manchester United and Atletico Madrid as well. These are second legs of course and uh, both are one all, uh, well sorry, United Atletico was one all after the first leg Ajax, Benfica two all after the first leg so we'll keep you up to date with those as well as we go to them throughout the morning Also some interesting news around Chelsea uh, and boy talk about not reading the room uh, now, Chelsea play in the FA Cup away at Middlesbrough this weekend. They can't sell their allocation of away tickets. So rather than just give them back to Middlesbrough or give them away to Chelsea fans, they have asked the FA to allow the game to be played behind closed doors in the interest of sporting integrity, which sounds like sour grapes. What integrity? I'm like, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of football fans, sports fans around the world, we're so sick of matches being played behind closed doors. And this one is completely unnecessary. Like you said, they should have done 
the, the good, be the good guys here. Try and, I don't know, save some face and give some more tickets to Middlesbrough. Yeah, they should have done something like that. But they have uh, given everything that's gone on and what's happened to the club in the last week. You thought there would have been some introspection. It looks like none of that has happened. And this looks looks uh, more like selfishness from a big, rich club out of London. And uh, we will talk more about that later on on the panel with Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good. It is time for News and Sport now with Araha Hathaway. It's 28 away from 10 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy is on the road with the Cricket World Cup, of course. So Ricardo Ball in with you until midday today. And joining us now is Black Caps coach Gary Stead. G'day, Gary. How you doing? Good morning, Ricardo. Uh, as uh, interesting uh, time, I would imagine, for you and Gavin and, and, and others, um, uh, the, the Brains Trust at New Zealand Cricket, trying to trying to pick an ODI and T20 squad here, uh, given we've got 12 players, including some great prospects like Finn Allen, away at the IPL. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think that, that always provides some great opportunities for us in, in quite a natural way as well. Um, we're not essentially dropping people or doing anything like that. Mm. It, it really just creates a magnificent opportunity for us to grow our depth. Um, and, and that's exciting for us when we when we look forward to what's coming ahead with World Cups in the future. Um, and, and I guess all these series that we're playing being World Cup qualifying games as well. So there's certainly, there's certainly plenty on it. Yeah, they, they're coming thick and fast, the World Cups, aren't they? It's like there's, there's one every year pretty much of, of, some, of one description or another. Yeah, there has been recently. I think COVID's just uh, knocked one back a year and so it's still sort of concertinaed up a, a little bit there. So we have a, a T20 World Cup coming up um, October, November this year in Australia and then the following uh, October, November period is the 50 over World Cup in India. Yeah, we're looking forward to those. Now, in terms of um, uh, the squad, outside of not being able to select people uh, who are at the IPL, what were some of the challenges that you guys came across? Um, well, I mean, we always try and, I guess, look at the domestic game as well and see who are the form players. And, and I think it's been really pleasing to see that we've had a number of different players stand up throughout the, the domestic competitions as well. Um, and then, then you generally look at uh, the, the the style of play that you want to play and, and start putting names into, into slots as well. And uh, the really encouraging thing from Gavin and I, uh, our perspective, is we still have like some really good players that have missed out of the, in the squad as well, and that's that's really exciting that that depth is being built. Yeah, it's it's really. I don't remember. I mean, I've been a cricket fan for a long, long time. Gary played played the game growing up as a kid, as a lot of Kiwis did, and I don't remember us having this much depth and this many options ever. No, I think that um, yeah, we're in a I guess golden period when you look at it that way. Um, 12 guys that have gone to the the IPL and we can still put like our ODI team still has a lot of experience in it as well and that's uh, that that all as well for us as well. It does. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, obviously Dane Cleaver's got an opportunity in the T20 squad. Uh, we saw him uh, go great uh, in, the, in the sort of top three for CD and, and, and with the gloves as well. He hasn't carried across to the ODI squad. Was there a temptation to have another keeper in the ODI squad at all? Uh, we certainly, that was one of the discussions that we did talk about and looked at. Um, however, I mean, Tom Latham is our incumbent there and, and being that he's captain of the squad as well, uh, it was going to be pretty difficult to, to leave him out and fit Dane in. So uh, we just felt that 
this was the right way to go. And um, when you look through, I, I guess, the top order of uh, our ODI squad as well, um, all, all the top five there are all played considerable amount of for New Zealand already, so there wasn't a lot of shifting and changing that was going on from the norm anyway. Yeah, I mean, I know Dane was on fire with the bat uh, in the Dream 11 Super Smash. Um, in terms of his work as a keeper with the gloves, um, how much uh, how much weight do you put on that when it comes to T20 cricket, given obviously you know, you're know you not keeping for as long a period of time? Yeah, I think probably a little bit less, but the thing that's excited us about Dane is also the role that he's done with the bat as well. Um, he, he's batted mainly at the, the top or number three for... Central Districts, and I think he was second top run scorer in the in the competition um, behind Michael Bracewell. So both those guys have been included. But look, I mean, it's the the longer the game, the more the gloves become important. Mm. Um, so yeah, in T Twenty cricket, you've seen us in the past that we have put, um, I guess, in somewhat stopgap measures with the with the gloves. Uh, Devin Conway's done a little bit of, of it. Um, so. That that's uh, that is an option that we'll keep considering as we look forward to the World Cup as well. Uh, and another name that uh, wasn't there that I kind of expected to see was Cam Fletcher. Um, I, I'm not yeah. sure in, in terms of how you uh, you see the progression, but I've, I've figured given that he was part of the Test squad, uh, that maybe this was an opportunity to take the gloves off Tom, maybe just to, you know take a little bit of pressure off him and put a keeper in the ODI and see how Cam goes in that environment. Was that a conversation as well? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've identified, I guess, Cam Fletcher and Dane Cleaver as two keepers that, are, that that have certainly had wonderful seasons or wonderful last couple of seasons as well. But then you put in the mix the Tom Latham as the incumbent and, and Tom Blundell as the wicketkeeper. And then we're certainly an area of our game that we are well blessed at the moment in New Zealand cricket. And... Um, yeah, when you when you pick a squad of thirteen, uh, you just got to be careful how how you match them up. You can't have have too many keepers or or give too many options because you still want guys to do their fundamental roles. In terms of how things are going to work at the top of the order too, uh, obviously looking more at the ODI squad, you've got Tom there, obviously you've mentioned, uh, Martin Guptill, Will Young. Uh, I mean, how do you see that working and, and do you expect Tom to open? Yeah, well, no, I don't. I expect him to bat in the middle order um, at, at five, where he has for us for the last sort of four or five years, um, and done that really, really well. Uh, with the World Cup being in India, uh, playing spin will be important as well, and, and we think Tom Latham's one of our better players of of doing that. So I expect that um, we haven't played a lot of one-day cricket recently, but uh, our last lot of games, you see Martin Guptill and Henry Nichols at the top, and, and I expect that's likely to be the case again. Who's who? Who are you most excited to see wear the black jersey, now the black caps jersey, in, in this upcoming series? Is there someone that you like? I really want to see this guy take an opportunity. <laughs> oh, I'm excited every time we go out there. So, uh, but I mean, it's always exciting for the the new guys coming in. So for Dane, for for Michael Bracewell, uh, when you when you get debutants and guys who are, I guess, new to the the team, they will always have some nerves in that as well. But hopefully, they can go in and and show the skills that, that have, have got them to being selected for New Zealand as well. So they've obviously had very, very consistent and, and great seasons for the last year or two and forced the selectors, I guess, to, to keep looking at them closely. And now comes that opportunity for them. But, I mean, no one more than others. I, I would also, I'd love to see Ross Taylor go out on, on a fantastic note as well. It's probably his swan song and he's been an amazing uh, Ambassador for for New Zealand cricket, an amazing 
amazing batsman um, for the last 15 years. And, and I'm, I know we, we will miss Ross, but we'll say cricket goes on, but, but we wish him well in the, his last series too. Yeah, we do. We do. How many overs do you expect him to bowl? <laughs> None. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Hey, on, uh, on Michael Bracewell, of course, uh, you know it was a big call by him what six, seven months ago to to turn down a call up to the Black Caps because of, of the impending birth of his first child. So, I mean, that, that mm. was a tough. Well, must have been a tough call for for him to make. Um, how did that conversation go with you, and and how did it go this time round? Yeah, um, I mean, it's always nice when because you never know whether that opportunity would come around as well. And, and I know Michael was was yeah pretty gutted last time, but also um, they him and his partner were about to go through an amazing experience of, of having a child as well. So uh, it's great to be able to give him that call back and, and to say congratulations again. Um, we want to see you as as part of this Black Cap side and. Um, Michael's been around the scenes for a long time now. He, he's got skills in all three forms of the game, which which really excite me. Um, so not only with the bat and the ball, he, he's an amazing fielder as well and can do pretty freakish things. So looking forward to seeing what he can add. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, I, you know, uh, uh, na- naming your child Gary Bracewell probably doesn't hurt, does it? Say that again. Sorry, I'm <laughs> that. Uh, naming your child Gary Bracewell probably doesn't hurt. You know, you've got to got to stay in the coach's good books. If you're turning it down the uh, the first time <laughs> round. <laughs> oh yeah, look, I mean, it's that, that, that's just sometimes what what happens. So, um, I mean, family comes first and, and all that. So, the, the we're always conscious that that there are different circumstances for different people. But wonderful that he does. He will get another opportunity. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, you mentioned Ross. Um, I did wonder. I think a lot of people wondered whether or not, um, you know, from a uh, I guess might, might be a bit of sentimentality that he that he might get a captaincy in his last dig with with New Zealand. Was that something that you guys talked about with Tom and the leadership group at all? No, not really. Um, I think I think. Ross's time as, as captain has, has been in the past and, and I guess for us it's still about looking at, at what's coming ahead as well and we've been putting that I guess leadership opportunity onto into Tom Latham more recently but there's no doubt that when Ross is on the field he, he is a leader so it doesn't have to necessarily be with the captain's badge that he can be a leader. Yeah, and how many overs do you expect to get out of Michael Bracewell? I mean, looking at the squad, really, I mean, obviously Ish is, is, is the one spinner. So, I mean, are you, are you expecting Michael to do a job like maybe Mitch Santner would do for you in usual circumstances? Yeah, that's the sort of role that we potentially see him in. I mean, he, he's he's not quite got the same bowling experience as, as a Mitchell Santner under his belt, but... Um, we like the the different skills he has. You've got East Sadie that turns it one way. You've got Michael Bracewell. There's Mark Chapman in the squad as well mm. who can also bowl a, a bit of left-arm spin. So we've certainly got different options there that we can call upon. Yeah, uh, I think it looks like a really well-balanced squad, uh, Gary. I think you and Gav have done a great job in the circumstances of who you don't have and you can't select. And uh, It's an exciting squad. Looking forward to seeing some new names in the Black Caps jersey against the, the Dutch. Uh, thanks for giving us some time out. I know you've got a, a, a presser to get to, so we'll let you get to that and get a cup of tea in, in the meantime. But I uh, really appreciate your time and go well. Yeah, thanks, Ricardo. Cheers, mate. Cheers, uh, Gary. Stead there, the... Uh,
uh, coach of the Black Caps. Talking about that team, of course, that uh, has been named. If you missed it, here it is. This is the ODI squad. Tom Latham is captain and wicketkeeper with Michael Bracewell, Doug Bracewell, Mark Chapman, Colin de Gronholm, Martin Guptill, Matt Henry, Kyle Jamison, Henry Nichols, Ish Sodi, Ross Taylor, Blair Tickner and Will Young. And in the T20 squad, you have some of the same names, but there's a few changed out as well. Scott Kugeline and Ben Sears are in that team, as is Dane Cleaver, uh, but they drop out uh, when it comes to the ODI squad. Uh, great to catch up with Gary Stead and looking forward to that series. There's 16 away from 10 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11 away from 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, Ricardo Ball sitting in for Smithy, who is, of course, following the Cricket World Cup around the country. And uh, thanks very much to Michael Holdsworth for his text. Uh, yes, New Zealand's next game is South Africa on Thursday, and there is full commentary right here on SENZ. We'll bring you the full radio commentary of that one. Uh, so if you're uh, if you're going to be on the road uh, and you, you want someone to, somewhere to check out uh, the uh, the game and follow the game and then uh, Daniel McCarty and the team uh, will be bringing you that right here on SENZ tomorrow uh, just updating the uh, Champions League scores uh, at half time in these ones and Atletico Madrid have taken the lead at Old Trafford just before half time, uh, Ren and Lodi uh, scoring a far post header to put them ahead and Ajax Benfica still nil all at this stage uh, from the Champions League, we'll keep you up to date with that throughout the day and uh, or throughout the morning. Uh, those games wrapping up just around 11 o'clock today. Uh, interesting, just going a little bit further on this, we'll bring this up on the panel, is it's about reading the room when it comes to when it comes to this, I think. And I don't think Chelsea have done a particularly good job of it. Now, of course, Chelsea Football Club uh, have been owned by Roman Abramovich, a, a Russian oligarch, as we know. That's been plenty of that in the news, and they, he's had all his assets frozen, which means that uh, Chelsea are now basically being run by the uh, British uh, government. Now, what they have said is they can't sell any more tickets as part of them because they can't, the club can't make money, right? So they're not allowed. To, if they can sell players, but they can't take the money for it, that just sits in an account. Uh, they can't sell merchandise. And the one of the other things is they can't sell any more tickets. So if you're a season ticket holder, you're fine, but they can't sell tickets to sort of casual match day goers, uh, things like that. Now, they have an FA Cup game this weekend against Middlesbrough, and they have an allocation of tickets that they can't sell because they're not allowed to sell them. So there are a couple of options here. They could return them to Middlesbrough and let Middlesbrough have a full house. They could give them away to some Chelsea fans. Uh, and not make any money off it so that they have some Chelsea fans there. Those are a couple of options for them. What isn't an option is the one thing that they have done, is that they have gone to the FA and said, um, because they can't have they can't sell their away allocation of tickets, means they'll have no fans there. So what they have said is uh, they want to they've requested to be able to play that FA Cup quarterfinal behind closed doors. Um, which would obviously take a lot of money away from Middlesbrough who are hosting the game. And uh, also, you know, given the situation Chelsea are in, this is on them, right? This wouldn't have happened if they didn't have Roman Abramovich as an owner. So it's it's interesting that they have so badly read this situation because it has not gone down well. In fact, uh, I, I thought that this was uh, interesting from Steve Gibson, who is the owner 
of Middlesbrough Football Club. He certainly hasn't taken um, this lightly. He has said Chelsea and sporting integrity do not belong in the same sentence. Then he talked about the Chelsea chairman, Bruce Buck. He said, where is the intellect of Bruce Buck, who's been an apologist for his owner, where the trophies won over 19 years have come from the corrupt money provided by Abramovich? Abramovich has been kicked out of football, and Bruce Buck should be kicked out of football too. So no punches uh, pulled there, and I doubt there will see uh, any Chelsea executives going to that match. I don't know how welcome they will be uh, in the chairman's lounge at Middlesbrough. It is uh, seven away from 10 here on S. CNZ, keen to get your thoughts. Make sure you send them through to us on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. A couple of minutes away from 10 o'clock here with Ricardo Paul sitting in for Smithy uh, on your SENZ mornings. And a couple of uh, pieces of news that have come uh, to light. Chris has uh, texted us actually saying Chelsea have withdrawn that request and they're looking it up. They have withdrawn a request uh, for that match against Middlesbrough to be played behind closed doors, initially made for matters of sporting integrity, in inverted commas. Uh, but the FA has released a statement saying after constructive talks between the FA and Chelsea, the club has agreed to remove their request. The FA remains an ongoing discussions with Chelsea, the Premier League and the government to find a solution that would enable both Chelsea fans to attend games and away fans to attend Stamford Bridge while ensuring sanctions are respected. So an update there. Thank you very much for your text, Chris. You can keep your text coming through on our Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three. Uh, also, don't forget to tune in to SENZ Sundays, 11 till 12, for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed Show, hosted by Greyhound experts Mark Rosanowski and Annie McCook. Don't miss a beat with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. And actually, some... Great news has just come out. If uh, you are in and around the Auckland area and you want to go and see some World Cup cricket, well, this weekend could be the weekend. Australia play India on Saturday and New Zealand play England on Sunday. Now, kids' tickets are $8.50 and up, depending on where you're sitting. But they have uh, they've, they've done a deal here where... Adult goes free with every kids' ticket purchased. So, if, if how good is that? That's a great idea. And I tell you, normally it's the other way around. You buy an adult ticket, you get a kid free. But you get buy a tick, a kids' ticket, you get an adult free. So, this is a great way to get the family along uh, to see some international sports. So, Australia, India, Saturday, New Zealand, England, Sunday at Eden Park. Uh, what a great opportunity to get along and see some cricket uh, of international standard. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's three past ten here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith, the Smithy on the road with the Cricket World Cup. So Ricardo Ball in with you uh, through till midday today. Coming up this hour, the Dilmar Expertise Panel with Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good. We're going to run the rule over the White Ferns at the uh, Cricket World Cup so far and, and how they have gone and are we allowed to criticise them if they don't win? Uh, COVID and the impacts on Super Rugby, uh, Chelsea's FA Cup drama and, and ownership in general in English football, and Warriors lineup changes for round two against the Titans. We'll tackle all of that. Louis Herman Watt also with a Love Racing update, and we'll have a cross with the TAB as well. After 11, Ravindra Hunia from uh, Sky Sport will join us to have a look at the UFC this weekend with Dan the Hangman Hooker taking on Arnold Allen in the UK on that uh, UFC card. So looking forward to all of that to come right now, though. It is time to talk baseball. And Shai Davidi joins us from Sportsnet uh, Baseball. Uh, how are you doing, Shai? 
I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Uh, uh, I guess it's a collective sigh of relief um, about a week ago when the lockout was officially done and there seemed to be some sort of agreement. Uh, Does anybody come out of this looking good? Well, I think for the players, this is – I mean, we'll we'll see, but it feels at this point like they have – made definitive progress you know they've uh, were able to address a number of different issues that were of concern to them uh you know the big one was raising the luxury tax threshold it's called the uh, or the competitive balance tax as it's uh, officially known you know that was very significant uh, and there are a couple other mechanisms too that will get younger players paid earlier in their careers which were both priorities but you know, ultimately, we'll see. Teams have been pretty good at exploiting loopholes and finding ways to manipulate uh, the collective bargaining agreement to their advantage in recent years. Uh, but you know, I think the fact that they were able to make at least right now some gains on paper without sacrificing uh, any games or any paycheck, uh, the, you know, I think that they're pretty pleased with uh, the way things turned out for them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the players uh, have effectively got what they wanted. Uh, the owners didn't come out of this looking great, though, did they? Well, I actually think they did, right? Because the owners knew all along that you know that they already had the players under their thumb, and there's a bunch of money coming into the game uh, through different rights deals, expanded playoffs, gambling. Uh, you know, they're they're they they couldn't afford a disruption. And really, from the owner's approach, this was going to be a defensive negotiation, and it was basically how much can how much of the pot can we keep from the players? And so, you know, there are some gives, but you know, they didn't do anything that structurally changes the game in a dynamic fashion, such as you know, going to an age-based free agency instead of a service time-based free agency. You know, that's something that could have really accelerated salaries. Uh, If they had expanded arbitration, that's something that also really could have accelerated, even for a small group of players, uh, would have accelerated salary growth. And, you know, they they certainly allowed the the competitive balance tax threshold to rise significantly, but it's still well below... Uh, industry growth uh, in terms of revenue generated in recent years. So, you know, they made some sacrifices. Uh, they kept their deals intact. They got expanded playoffs, which was a priority for them. Uh, and so they they were able to save their season without necessarily surrendering a ton to the players. Yeah, I mean, how many games did they end up losing from the front of the season? And how do you think that might impact, I don't know, TV right negotiations down the road if uh, this is kind of how things get negotiated in baseball and you know, TV companies could potentially lose, what, 90, 100 games? Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's they lost six uh, games, but those are going to be made up. Uh, the three are going to be tacked on at the end of the season. There are going to be three others that are going to be interspersed uh, over the course of the of the calendar. So they'll, they'll still play a full season, but there are clauses within some of the regional rights deals, uh, some of the TV deals, excuse me, with regional rights holders uh, that allow them to cancel up to 20 games uh, without uh, perhaps uh, some of them are up to 30, uh, 30 games that allow them to cancel without penalty. So there is some flexibility in that. uh, But, you know, I think from a broader perspective, the future of rights deals uh, is really interesting because uh, a lot of the the cable TV networks they're struggling, and you know some of the thinking is that the next major the next round of major rights deals, a decade and so down the road, um, uh, they will be 
they'll probably be with some of the streaming giants, right? Where we will see already a relationship beginning with Apple, YouTube, uh, Netflix, Facebook. These are the companies that may very well replace some of the TV networks that you know are right now maybe facing some of the issues that newspapers and and other traditional media faced you know 10 15 years ago now uh, i know uh, shy that you are in dunedin uh, florida which is probably a lot warmer than dunedin new zealand um <laughs> you're there with the, with the, with the blue jays um, <laughs> but uh, you know i mean it's great because you you know it's a canadian team in this american league that you can go uh, back and forth from the us and it's it's, it's all pretty uh, well um the wheels are pretty well greased for that to happen pretty easily but i mean going the other way going from the us into canada during the season with the vax rules in canada how is that going to impact the season and are there any teams that are going to be impacted more than others yeah i mean it's certainly and uh, you know the issue a lot of the uh, a lot of the border rules right now are similar uh, between canada and the us it's just american citizens won't have an issue getting back into the united states when they are unvaccinated uh, but each country has restrictions on vaccinated, unvaccinated visitors. And so uh, this is going to impact uh, a handful of players who thus far have declined to get vaccinated. And the, there had been an exemption in place for professional and amateur athletes arriving to Canada. Uh, there were also some exemptions for entertainers and a few other categories of, of foreign workers that were removed as of January 15th. And so, you know, baseball was in the midst of this labor negotiation and the lockout, and this issue got lost a little bit. And all of a sudden, the season starting, and the players uh, found out that, you know, if they do not, or if they are, are forced to miss games in Toronto because of their vaccine status, they'll lose days of service time and the commensurate pay, which are critically important. So, uh, you know, the, a couple of the Blue Jays' chief rivals, the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees have some significant players uh, who are uh, unvaccinated. Uh, one of the players on the Boston Red Sox, uh, Xander Bogarts, one of their star players, recently uh, or just today and uh, told reporters that he had gotten vaccinated, so he will be eligible to play. Um, but you know, for some of the division rivals, that's up to 10 games here. Mm. Uh, the Blue Jays are expected to be a good team. So for some of their rivals to arrive... Uh, without their full squad, you know, it's going to put them at a significant disadvantage potentially. Yeah, I mean, is he vaccinated, vaccinated, or is he Aaron Rodgers vaccinated? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you that I'm sure that the Canadian authorities will get uh, get to the bottom of that uh, in pretty good fashion. Uh, although I suppose if you're uh, if you're an athlete uh, with the right connections, maybe you could get a high end uh, high end forgery. But uh, I'm I'm certain that he would be vaccinated. His team uh, would uh, would uh, has been prioritizing that. So I think that uh, the Boston Red Sox will avoid the Aaron Rodgers scenario. Yeah, just imagine you're looking at that medical stuff and you're going, "Who's this Dr. Joe Rogan? I mean, who's who's signing this stuff?" <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, that, that's that's sadly a, a more serious question, uh, or, uh, something that people will take a little too seriously here. <laughs> we should talk uh, uh, trades because you know now that that's this is all done, all all the, all the lockouts done, we're, we're starting to see some player movement. And of course, uh, I mean your Blue Jays that you follow so closely uh, are in a really tough division in the American League East with the Red Sox and the Yankees. Um, we don't have to mention the Orioles uh, and and and, and the 
the Tampa Bay Rays, who were the best team in the American League last season, um, there wasn't a lot in it. I mean, they had 100 wins, and then in Boston and, and the Yankees had 92, and the Blue Jays had 91. But uh, that feels like it's going to be uh, a competition that's really heated up in the AL East again. How busy have those top four teams been? Well, I mean, the Blue Jays have been actively engaged, uh, and they still have uh, a couple of moves to come. They just today introduced their latest signing, uh, Japanese left-hander Yusei Kikuchi, and he's got uh, a chance to give the Blue Jays probably the best starting rotation in the division. He's someone uh, who had a bit of a rougher season last year with Seattle, or uh, sort of a uh, bit of a Jekyll and Hyde season, all-star in the first half and then really tailed off in the second half. But the Blue Jays have some ideas of, how they can get him back right, and you know he's done some work, so you know they they put down a, a pretty reasonable bet on him. Uh, but the, there's more to come for them. Uh, the New York Yankees made a very significant trade a couple of days ago, uh, acquiring Josh Donaldson, uh, who was a star for the Blue Jays in 2015 and 2016, uh, and so the, he's going to be uh, an interesting addition to that clubhouse. He's uh, uh, quite the personality. He's got uh, he can be um, dynamic. He can be abrasive, uh, you know, he can get under opponent's skin because of the, how hard and aggressively he plays the game. Uh, it's going to be some spectacular theater to the division. Uh, you know, the Boston Red Sox are sort of, have been this sort of sleeping giant where, you know, they, they have a lot of financial resources at their disposal, but they haven't really made those big splashy moves. You know, that's probably still coming. And, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays have always been a, a clever team able to find value where others don't. Uh, and anyone who would discount them, uh, you know, would uh, it, it, that's a fool's errand. What chance that Freddie Freeman uh, is playing in the AL East this coming season? I know the Red Sox are sort of looking at him. It, it, that's a, it's a fascinating market. You know, to me, and many people, like everyone's still a little bit shocked that he didn't end up back in Atlanta and – that you know, Atlanta moved very quickly. They traded for Matt Olson. They signed him to an eight-year extension for 168 million dollars earlier today. That was something uh, that I don't know that an- people really anticipated. And you know, so w- short of Atlanta, the thought was that he'd end up with the the Dodgers in Los Angeles. And now, you know, we're hearing some chatter about teams like San Diego, uh, Boston, New York uh, have always been obvious suitors. He's an awkward fit in Toronto positionally, but the talent uh, and the profile uh, really works for them from an offensive standpoint. So it's something that you know they're looking at, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen here. Uh, but you know, if it's not New York or Los Angeles, I'm not sure uh, you know where it's going to be. You know that those would be my top two picks, uh, but. You know, I I, w- I would have bet significant amount that it was gonna it was gonna happen in Atlanta, and uh, and obviously that did not play out. Yeah, uh, what about uh, the Yankees? And of course, I mean they're the most famous team in baseball, pretty much. But they, you know, they pay all this luxury tax, yet they, you know, get uh, they have to go into a one-off wild card against the Sox, and and then don't play any postseason. I mean, it feels like that old season I can do without my necessities, but I have to have my luxuries with the Yankees. Uh, have they got the right spine? Yeah, I mean, they they're just they they've been a very odd team in terms of kind of like the way we've thought of them in the past, where you know they were always just get like who's the top guy he's ours 
and and they've just been so much uh uh, they were just—they just have a discipline to them now, which is very different from from the past. And you know, Freddie Freeman is an obvious fit there. You know that they already took on a big contract in in Josh Donaldson. They took on all his remaining money, uh, which is uh, you know forty to fifty million, uh, I believe, or maybe even a touch more than that. So, you know that that's a big jump right there. And you know, the fact that they haven't gone out and you know, Carlos Correa, the free agent shortstop, would have been perfect for them. And there, I know there were some issues with or some hard feelings between players uh, based on Correa's history with Houston uh, and New York. But you know, that's one of the best players in the game. He'd be an obvious fit. You know, they haven't seemed really involved in that at all. And they got uh, uh, Isaiah Kiner Falefa, who's in theory now going to be their shortstop. So, you know, this it's hard to read what the Yank where the Yankees are at because they're not behaving as the typical Yankees and it's just I think the industry is all sort of still shaking their heads a little bit and trying to fully understand why why they've got this tepid uh non-George Steinberg and Araska approach yeah, well, you know, the good thing about that is Schneidenfreud is fun for baseball fans of 29 other teams, <laughs> right? Um, so so we love that. Hey, Shai, thanks very much for coming on and having a chat, man. Enjoy working on the tan in Florida, and uh, we'll catch up with you again soon, eh? Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, getting used to some sun after a long uh, long winter of snow, so it's a good feeling. Thanks for having me. Uh, anytime. Shai Davidi there, uh, the baseball columnist from Sportsnet, covers the Blue Jays. Uh, we've got the Dilma expertise panel coming up with Lavina Good and Andrew Gordy up next here on SENZ. The expertise panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. It's 10.23 here on Mornings with Ian Smith on ECNZ. Smithy on the road with the Cricket World Cup. So Ricardo in for him. Uh, time now for our Dilmar Expertise panel. And our experts on the Expertise panel today are Andrew Gordy. G'day, mate. How are you? Not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, go. Cool. I'll be better if we could equalise against Atletico Madrid just quietly. I would also be better if that was the case as well. Unfortunately, though, we've got a referee who's more A-League than Champions League this morning. I'm not quite sure how he didn't see, or at least one of the fouls in the lead-up to Atletico's goal. But uh, that's always we never do it the easy way, do we, mate? No, we never do. We never do. Uh, Lavina Good is also on the expertise panel with Dilmar today. G'day, Lavina. Is Lavina there? She dropped off. Might just be you, and me, you and me, Gordy. Oh. That's all good. I'm sure Lavina will show up shortly. All good, all good. She will, mate. She will. Hey, uh, I wanted to start by talking about the COVID impacts on Super Rugby and, 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 uh, you know, what, if anything, Super Rugby and New Zealand Rugby can do about this. So it looks like uh, the Blues Crusaders game might be in jeopardy, potentially the Highlanders Moana Pacifica game as well. And boy, Moana Pacifica don't need another weekend off. I mean, what's your take on where this currently sits? Uh, my take on it, mate, is uh, I'm, I'm starting to question now, especially as New Zealand's uh, the, or the, the stage of the pandemic that the country is at, I'm really starting to question now why New Zealand rugby decided to burst the super rugby bubble. Because look at, look at the problems we've, we've now got. We've got, we're more than likely going to have at least one, probably two games having to be cancelled this weekend or postponed. And it really sort of makes you wonder, couldn't this have all been avoided if we just stuck with the, 
the scenario that we had at the start of the campaign, which was having all the teams in a, or you'd avoid all of this, all of this chaos. And it is week to week chaos, isn't it? And poor old Moana Pacifica, I really feel sorry for them. They're now looking at a probability, you would have to say, of having a, I think it's a fourth game postponed uh, yeah. out, out of five. They've only managed to play one game so far. So there is an element of mismanagement here, and you really have to be sort of pointing the finger, I suppose, at New Zealand rugby for that. Yeah, and, and seeing, where, you know, why they let everyone out of the bubble as early as they did. I mean, and I guess the other thing, you know, for Moana Pacifica, um, I mean, if that Highlanders game is, is postponed, is there another fix? I mean, they haven't played the Crusaders a second time. Do they Do they manufacture a game and, and rejig the draw and we end up with Moana play the Crusaders for a second time this weekend? Well, mate, you'd also have to wonder if, if the broadcasters don't start going, hey, is there something, some other arrangement we can come up with here? Because they'll, they'll need content. Um, that's where, you know, you think about the NRL and the lengths that the NRL went to to keep that competition running in the midst of a of a pandemic, sort of, I'm talking the first time around, I'm not saying by any means that they're through it, but you look at how the NRL has handled it, they've, they've done whatever's required, essentially, to keep that competition running. And if that means that Moana Pacifica has to play another game against another team they've already played, or, or you have to rejig the draw so that uh, the teams that are available can at least have a game against each other, then I think that's something that they absolutely need to entertain. Yeah, I think they do definitely need to look at it. This is uh, the Dilmar Expertise Panel uh, with Andrew Gordy and uh, Lavina Good joining us now as well. uh, Dilmar, do try it. Lavina, we've just been talking Super Rugby, but I want to talk to you about uh, the White Ferns as well. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk in New Zealand sport at the moment about more equality in terms of, you know, pay structures, uh, profile, TV time and things for female sports and the uh, you know across TV across newspapers across online etc at what point are we truly equal enough to be able to criticize the white ferns when they lose mate you can criticize them anytime you want I reckon um, I, I had a discussion with a, a couple of people a month ago saying that and that they were um, sports commentators saying that they feel really uncomfortable with critiquing um, some elements of women's sport and and I get why I guess um, for most women in sport they don't get an opportunity at an international level to um, compete as much as what men do so when they do a lot of male commentators feel very hesitant to critique them in any way but with all the professional and unprofessional women that I know that are playing in sport here in New Zealand, they find that really, really condescending. That's the last thing that they want. So even though they might play, say, two test matches a year rather than their male compatriots that play 10 test matches a year, they still deserve and would like to be critiqued in any any matter. And I think as soon as we create that parity in terms of criticism, everything else will be even as well. At the moment, it's not even. Women in sport do not get as much coverage as men in sport. They do not get as much money as men in sport. We might talk a bit later about um, the women's NRL, but I I just heard that they're getting a 30% pay rise for the women in sport with the rugby league. That means they're going from $8,000 to $12,000, which would probably be enough to feed Sean Johnson his protein powder throughout the year. So I think we do need to ascertain just how much money and how much coverage these women are getting. But in terms of me, mate, I call a game as it is. I don't care if it's a man playing or a woman playing. If they play great, I'll say it. If they play like crap, I'll say it. And I think everyone else needs to do the same. Now, Andrew, you're obviously uh, you know on the on the TV every night for presenting sports news and things. How do how do you feel about it? I mean, if the black
black caps capitulated the way uh, that the White Ferns did against an Australian team and, and in a tournament and mismanaged an innings to the point where they didn't bat twenty overs, you'd you'd be pretty uh, it'd be you'd feel pretty comfortable climbing into them about it. How how did you feel about it uh, from uh, the point of view of a of a bloke reporting on sport and reporting on a on a, on a women's sports team at a World Cup? Okay, so uh, I can tell you what happened sort of within our own newsroom the other day when obviously the White Ferns playing a home World Cup, uh, you know, they, they capitulated, didn't they, against Australia. And the discussion that we had was we need, to, we need to do some proper analysis on this performance because if it was, like you say, uh, the Black Caps or the All Blacks who delivered a performance like that in a, in a World Cup, whether it's on home soil or, or away... Um, we would be asking former internationals to give their take as some as people who have been within that sort of environment and have experienced those same things to tell us what's going on, who needs to step up, what's 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 going wrong, and, and where can things improve. And I can tell you that we called around at least half a dozen former women's international cricketers, and it was obvious that they were they were basically coming up with excuses not to do it. And that's where my issue lies, because there has been a lot of effort, and quite rightly, put into prioritising and giving women's sport the platform that it deserves. We've got these fantastic new competitions. We've got Super Rugby Opiki. Um, we've got several World Cups coming up on home soil. It is the perfect chance to, to showcase women's sport. But... I think there is there is a responsibility for former women's internationals who who didn't live or, or sort of play through that same level of I suppose uh, exposure and perhaps you could say professionalism. It is now beholden on them to really take the coverage of women's sport to the next level because it is not right. I don't think personally, and I and I, and I think Levine was kind of hinting at this before. I don't think it's right that we should need to go to former men's internationals, and I'm talking about male um, pundits, to talk about what's going on in the women's environment. I I would really like to see some of those uh, retired women's internationals, whether it's cricket or rugby or or whatever sport, to be bold enough to step up and say and call out people who are probably their friends and former teammates because that's what we expect. And and I think they need to understand that it's their responsibility to, to make sure that they are the ones who are leading that that next level of coverage for women's sport where we can feel confident talking about the good and the bad. Um, and I'm not talking about necessarily laying the boot in all the time. That's not what, what media coverage is, is about. It's about talking about good performances and bad performances in equal measure. Yep, no, fair call. I like it. I like it. This is the Dilmar Expertise panel. Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good with us. Dilmar celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Uh, Aroha Hathaway is standing by with news and sport. We will come back. We will talk Warriors lineup changes and Chelsea not reading the room. The Expertise panel brought to you by Dilmar. Do try it. Yeah, this is the Dilmar Expertise panel here on Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ 27 away from 11 o'clock. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith, Andrew Gordy and Lavina Good with us on the panel. And of course, uh, something, Andrew, that came up overnight was that uh, the Chelsea Football Club uh, had basically, they're away to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup this weekend. Uh, they're not allowed under the uh, the situation, the sanctions on their owner, Roman Abramovich, to sell tickets. So even though they're 
away, they suggested that this game should be played uh, behind closed doors for reasons of sporting integrity. Um, I did enjoy this from Steve Gibson, who is the owner of Middlesbrough. Chelsea and sporting integrity do not belong in the same sentence. Uh, Where is the intellect of Bruce Buck, the chairman? who's been an apologist for his owner, where the trophies were won over 19 years that have come from corrupt money provided from Abramovich. He's been kicked out of football and Bruce Buck should be kicked out of football too. So pulling no punches. What was your take on Chelsea really failing to read the room? It's astonishing really, isn't it? Because at a time like this, you would think that Chelsea's um, judgment will have been really sharpened by everything that's that's going on, obviously, with Roman Abramovich, the situation with Russia, and and also, I suppose, needing to engage properly with their fans, but also the wider football community. And like you say, they have just completely uh, misread the room on this one. I actually, it's only just now that you've mentioned it that I realised this was an away fixture. I, I thought it was a home fixture, and I, and I, I was thinking to myself, um, you know, what's the point in playing it behind closed doors? You know, why can't Middlesbrough um, at least, you know, get their fans along to the game, etc., etc.? I cannot believe that this suggestion was made. And and I'm pleased to see that the request has been withdrawn. But also, good on good on Chelsea's chairman, Steve Gibson, for, for telling it like it is, because Chelsea, at a time like this, their management and their administration uh, really needs to be uh, seen, uh, which is astonishing, they need to be... Uh, guided towards uh, where the morals lie on this one. Yeah, Lavina, I'm not sure your thoughts on this, but I mean, it, it's, it seems a horrible misreading in a week or so where they should have had some introspection at the top level about how the club behaves that this came out. The moral compass, hey, of um, Chelsea has been called out and it's just spinning around in circles and circles and circles. It's got no direction at the moment. An opportunity for them, I guess, to answer to their fans and the sporting world. I mean, there was a reason why the um, British government put sanctions on Abramovich being the owner and his support of Putin. So that's the political side of things. But when it comes to the sporting side of things, I think the only way that Chelsea can get out of this one is a massive apology to Middlesbrough and say, hey, we got it wrong in the first place. We shouldn't have suggested that you couldn't have an fans not only can you have your fans for this one but how about this how about for the home game for Chelsea they do allow fans they do bring them in but they don't charge them anything whatsoever so there's no financial gain at all for Abramovich so that's settled and the fans don't get to be punished which they probably shouldn't because they've not had a lot to do with it and uh, Middlesbrough for the away game also have as many fans as they like I think that's the solution to the whole thing yeah Chelsea need a lot of work to do to make up after this one they have a lot of work uh, speaking of a lot of work to do is the the Warriors after uh, they lost to St George in the first round there have been changes made some of them enforced one that wasn't Gordy was Cody Nikarima who was the halves partner for Sean Johnson but he uh, he went missing I think is probably the fifth, uh, the best thing to say and even though Sean Johnson's not there he's not in the squad uh, this week yeah, time for the Warriors to say hey you know Chanel Tavita Harris maybe you're not so bad and Cody you can do one Oh look I, I totally agree with your sentiments around Cody Nikarima I, I was un- very underwhelmed by his performance in the first round um, I know that Sean Johnson's come into some criticism uh, for that first round performance. I'm, I'm reluctant to, to, to go that far myself. Um, I, I really feel as though um, there were a couple of moments, obviously, where you would say that he took the wrong option. But, but I, I, again, I'm really reluctant to criticise him for that. You know, there's, and I think the one that everyone has obviously honed in on is uh, 
you know, kicking from inside your own 20 on the second tackle when you're, when you're down and the game is still very much in the balance. Um, equally, that's where, that's where playmakers, it's make or break for, that, for them. And, and I, the one example that I really think back to is actually a, a super rugby game, Blues Crusaders. Blues were right on top of the game um, against the Crusaders in Christchurch a couple of years back. You'll probably remember it. And uh, the Blues had just scored a try. The, the heads were up, and, and they were all just thinking that all, all the momentum was with them. And Richie Moanga, I don't know if you recall, took a, a quick, a short kickoff. He basically grabbed it to himself. And that was just, it was an enormous risk to take in the moment. But it completely changed the momentum of the game, and the Crusaders went on to win it. And I think that that's what, what Sean Johnson was trying to do in that moment. And you, you have to accept, I think, that sometimes when players have, a, a brilliant mind, they're going to try things. It's not always going to come off, but sometimes it will, and you'll hail him as a genius. And if we're going to hail him as a genius when it comes off, I think it's, it's not right to go in on him when, when perhaps it doesn't. They ended up losing the game. Uh, sorry, to get back to, to the changes that have been made, I think it's absolutely right that Chanel harris Tabita comes into the hub, and it is a big opportunity for Ash Taylor. I mean, that's exactly why he was brought into this, to this team, right? This is why the Warriors gave him a contract for the... the the opportunity, I suppose, that, that comes about when Sean Johnson is either injured or suspended for whatever reason. It's here now. He's going to be out for about four weeks. And, and I think it's a huge opportunity for Ash Taylor to step up and form a proper combination with Chanel harris over over the coming week. Um, and, geez, um, I know Dylan Wipen is a Lesniak out as well, but Cavalry Swalsh coming back in at fullback, a uh, huge boost for the Warriors. And, yeah, I think when it was clear that um, Waitanae Lesniak and Johnson were going to be out for an extended period, you're, you're thinking to yourself, gee, how are the Warriors going to cope with this? I think the team they've put out on paper this week actually isn't that bad. No, it's not that bad at all. This has been the Dilma uh, expertise panel. Uh, Dilma, do try it. Celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. Lavina Good, Andrew uh, Gordy with us. Thank you, uh, Gordy. Go well, mate. Enjoy the rest of your day. Lavina, hang there. We're going to catch up with some NRLW with you next. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's a quarter to 11 here on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for Ian Smith. Lavina Good has stayed with us because, uh, Lavina, you wanted to talk some NRLW, but before that, uh, we didn't get your take on the changes. I mean, uh, I look at that and I think that's a real indictment. You lose Sean Johnson uh, for four weeks and Cody Nakarima, who was the starting halves partner, has dropped all together. That says a lot about what Nathan Brown saw in that first round against St George. Trying to think about that rugby game Andrew Gordy was talking about. <laughs> I'm thinking I wasn't watching rugby. I was watching the greatest game of all, Gordy. You won't be listening now, mate. Doesn't matter. You've got to make yourself a Dilma cup of tea. So don't worry. That's all sweet as. Um, I don't know why they put Nicarima and Johnson together in the first place. They're both show ponies and they both like to um, receive the attention that they deserve and that they think they deserve even more. So that was a bad combination from the outset. I think Cody Nicarima would like to play six and seven himself himself as a combination. I don't think he wants anyone outside or inside him so that he can get his hands on that ball as much as possible and do what he needs to do with it. So it's not a big issue for me that he's not backing up for the Warriors. The prodigal son, well, he had returned, but he returned with a pictorial injury. Um, I just hate, I just want to, yeah, that, that whole thing about expecting a piece of brilliance from your playmaker. The, the best playmakers in the world, Ricardo, are as clinical as what they are clever. And that's what you expect from um, the NRL that we're watching at the moment and some of the decisions that are being made from the halves will resonate with those sides and you can't say that that loss was Sean Johnson's fault but 
you know, when the victory's there and, and he can claim it, we give him a tick. And when they lose and he might be slightly responsible for it, he has to take it on the chin. So no Johnson. I actually wanted Ash Taylor to be there first time round. I know he's coming back to play against his old side, the Titans. There's a question mark on Ash Taylor, though, with his off-season injuries. I know he had COVID and also had that hip surgery. So I don't know if he will be as light-footed as what you expect. But up front, I think the Warriors still have um, what it might take to take the Titans down. The Titans will certainly be favoured, especially with AJ Brinson coming back. So they'll be tested. But um, I have no issue with Ash, Ash Taylor moving in there and Cody Nikaruma playing that that place on the bench where he might come in and, and help out a little bit in the playmaker's role or maybe in the hooking role. So we'll have to wait and see yeah, what's we- happening with the Warriors. But too many mistakes, mate. Far too many mistakes from the Warriors. Yeah, far too many. Uh, now, uh, speaking of mistakes, it was probably a mistake for the Warriors not to keep a women's team going in the NRLW. Uh, I mean, obviously, we've got six teams this season. It's going to be eight next season and ten the season after. Surely, Lavina, uh, we'll have Warriors team back in by then? Here's a news flash for you. What if we came out at the beginning of the year and said there'll be no Warriors men's team in the NRL competition because of COVID? How mm. would that go down with mm. every rugby league fan in New Zealand? Because that's basically what's happened to the women's competition and the women's players for a couple of years now. Sorry, we can't support you because of COVID. Can we have a little bit more of a discussion about that? What do you mean because of COVID? Does it mean because we can't afford for the women's team to be over in Australia, to be based in Australia, to be competing? As a result of that decision, there are so many young women in rugby league in this country, Ricardo, that their aspirations of playing for the Warriors in that competition that have been absolutely devastated. Lots of them will be playing in the Premiership um, competition, which is coming up not this weekend, but the weekend after, which will be um, held all over the country. Um, but lots of those women were hoping to play at that professional level in the N, um, NRLW, which won't be the case. So I'm glad, the, I'm glad the game is expanding. I hope that the Warriors do get an early call because they were forced out due to financial or COVID, which is affecting everyone and everything. So the future for Women's Rugby League looks great, but we will lose a lot of talent over the next couple of years because the Warriors weren't included in that competition. And I think earlier we were talking about women in sport and parity and critiquing them. You can critique them as much as you want, but they need to have the same amount of opportunities. And the women rugby league players here in New Zealand didn't get the same opportunity as the men because they are not competing in that competition. And I think we need to address it and everyone needs to say, yeah, it's unfair on them. Uh, do you do you believe that the club, once COVID is gone, will reinvest in a women's team? They'll have to. They'll have no choice. Um, otherwise, what will happen is that they'll be 10 years, 15 years from now, and no one will be playing rugby league in this country. I mean, Georgia Hale, the greatest rugby league player I've seen, you know, for a long time. I, I'd go and, and cover the Warriors and interview them at the end of the game and think to myself, why can't you tackle like Georgia? Like, why can't you just make some bloody tackles? Because she's tough, she's got great culture, she's excellent, and now she's playing overseas for the Titans because there's no Warriors team. We can't afford to lose these players. So the Warriors need to invest in the women's team. They need to make sure that that women's team is competing in the NRLW. Otherwise, you will lose every young female rugby league player in this country to either rugby or to Australia. That's what will happen. Yeah, good stuff, Lavina. Thanks very much for coming on and giving us your thoughts. Uh, appreciate it as always. Go well and uh, we'll catch up with you soon, eh? Sweet as, mate. Thanks so much. Cheers. Uh, 10 away from 11 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Still to come on the show, Ravindra Hunia, UFC expert from Sky Sport. He's going to join us after 11. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You're on. Update. 
your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, it's four away from 11 here on SENZ. Ricardo in for Ian Smith on Mornings with Ian Smith. Uh, Louis Herman Watt with us for the Love Racing.NZ update. Uh, uh, Louis, what have you got for us? It is with sadness in my heart. No, and it's not. deep apology. <laughs> I could not be more regretful to announce that Manchester United is no longer playing. Champions League football this season. No, no, out one nil uh, to uh, well two one on aggregate <laughs> to Atletico Madrid. Uh, but anyway, it's enough of that. Uh, enough of that, Louis. Um, uh, what about uh, uh, thoroughbred racing? Because we've got a meeting at Matter Matter today. Highborn race four is um, look. It's a nice chance. Probably top two is a safe bet. There's a highlighter in the race as well. I love Highborn. We've won on it before on SCNZ. It's a good chance. It's um, seems to be flying home late. Barrier one might get back a little bit, so you never really know. But loves the track. It's the home track. And, um, oh, man, that is emotional, isn't it? Poor Manchester United. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, so today it's today it's matter, matter, and then we get the odds this afternoon, Ricardo, for a massive weekend at Trentham. Man, it's great. There's uh, Kempi's got a horse racing, Cinerama and the Cuddle Stakes, but there are some fantastic races, the Levin Classic, the Oaks, where we see self-obsession in the perfect pink, the horse that... Uh, is he killed? Is he stopped? <laughs> And it's tracks. And it's tracks. Um, so there's plenty going on. Hey, yesterday we were talking golf. Sam yeah. Pinfold was on the bag for Cam Smith. Yeah. We had Sam on the show this morning, and someone said, what are you going to do with your winnings? Are you Kempi oh, said, are you going to buy a new car? He said, no, Cam will probably buy a new car. I'll go buy a couple more racehorses. There you go. Loves his thoroughbred racing, does Excellent. Sam Pinfold. So um, awesome stuff, and, and no doubt he'll be doing that. Having a look on loveracing.nz forward slash ownership for opportunities. Yeah, now, uh, the uh, uh, highborn that you tipped out, is, is he on that today? Oh, yes. So we're so doing a spiritual cleansing. No, so, no, no, we're doing uh, oh, a spiritual okay. cleansing. Okay. We're going to get him on here today on a midweek, so low stakes, on a Wednesday, Yeah. and then hopefully cleanse him by the time the weekend rolls around <laughs> so he can back Seamus and Cinerama <laughs> and what other else we want to back. Yeah, good stuff. That is our Love Racing.nz update with Louis Herman. What, uh, Pip Morris now joins us from the TAB. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Pip, uh, we were just talking about the street killer that is Izzy Dag. Uh, what have you got for us at Matter Matter today? Day that maybe Izzy isn't packing so we can win something. I don't mind glorified in the last, actually. I'm catching up with Craig Grills today on the channel and just having a look. I think the 2,000 metres last time had really good closing sectionals, Ricardo, so don't mind glorified. Craig Grills aboard in the last at Mata Mata and, of course, uh, World Cricket Cup back again today. More matches there. England, have to say, $500 placed on them at 165 $500 on India as well at 2.15. And India are taking the highest bet count at the moment, Ricardo. And tomorrow's game, there has been around 1,500 on New Zealand at 1.40 to win their match. And, of course, we've got the, the uh, Cricket World Cup bonus back. You should check out on the website. And for the league, of course, round two tomorrow, a couple of upsets. Well, a lot of upsets in round one, I have to say. We didn't catch it yesterday. They were big multi, $4,000. And the Storm and Panthers to both win at $8,000 to return around 14000 Ricardo. And another one with both of those teams to win, along with the Eels, and full-time and half-time at around 11000 that will return to. So some big multis. Don't forget for the Warriors fans, that bonus back still available for them to make the top eight. If they miss the wooden spoon, then you'll get your money back if they don't manage to make it. And that is being really popular, as you'd expect, Ricardo. Yeah, good stuff, Pip. Thanks very much for your time. Go well and enjoy Matter Matter today. 
It's just gone three past 11 here on SENZ. Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy on the road for the Cricket World Cup. So Ricardo Ball in till midday for you uh, coming up this hour. We're going to catch up with Stephen McIver from the Race Control Show with Greg Murphy. They're on tonight here on SENZ. We're going to catch up with McIver and see what they have got in store with us. Stumped uh, by Ricardo is also coming up around half past. Uh, your chance to win this jackpot at $100 worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops as well. We'll catch up with Sam Hewitt and do the crossover uh, as he uh, looks after Staff's show for the week with Staff away at the moment. But we've got a big UFC fight night coming out of the UK from 9 o'clock on Sunday morning New Zealand time. And uh, joining us to talk about that from Sky Sport is Ravinda Hunia, UFC expert from Sky Sport. G'day Ravinda, how you doing? Morena, good, thank you. That's the story. Now, uh, of course, the, the, there's a lot of big fights on this card, but the one that stands out for us Kiwi fight fans is the hangman, uh, Dan Hooker. He's up against Arnold Allen uh, this weekend, and, of course, it's a uh, a change of weight division for him going back down to featherweight. Yeah, that's right, and it's probably the biggest talking point of this fight. And the, the, but the one person that will tell you that it's not an issue is Dan Hooker himself. Mm. He was in the featherweight division when he started his UFC career. He then left and went up to lightweight where he fought, you know, the best of the best fighters. Wasn't having much success of late in that division, so moving down a weight division, probably a better um, decision for him, whether that would have been up or down. Um, in that decision, but yeah, tough fight for him this weekend. Yeah, it is a tough fight. I mean, Arnold Allen, uh, he's got a great record, seventeen and one. But I look at a few things, and 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 this is uh, obviously comes with with Dan dropping down back to uh, to featherweight. I mean, his reach advantage of five inches with the hands, and what three and a half inches with the feet as well, gives him a massive advantage against a guy Arnold Allen who, uh, you know is durable, but he's not really going to knock anyone out. You can't see him finishing Dan Hooker, can you? Yeah, that's right. And to even be able to try to do that, he has to reach him, right? So that you're right, Dan Hooker has the clear advantage there. And we know that Dan Hooker and the CKB boys in general like to stand and bang, like to move around the octagon, really like to, you know, suss their opponents out before they pounce um, on their opponents. So it is a great space for Dan Hooker to be in, but you mentioned that weight. That will be the um, the deciding factor, I think, of this fight. Will Arnold Allen work to, you know, to pace him down through the rounds? Because we know that if you cut weight, you may have less energy in the tank to make it um, through all the rounds. So will he do that, or will he try and attack early to try and exert that energy of Dan Hooker? It will be up to him to try and reserve those uh, energy tanks, I feel. Yeah, I mean, I look at this and I think, you know, despite the seventeen and one record, I, I like Dan Hooker in this fight just because he he can he can do so much. He hits hard, he kicks hard. If Alan wants to take it to the ground, I mean, we all know you know how he got the Hangman nickname. I just don't feel like there's too much that Alan can do to hurt Dan Hooker in this fight, and that's why I think Dan Hooker will win the fight and he'll probably finish it too. Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, it would be. And it is important for Dan Hooker to make that kind of impression returning to another weight division to prove that he has got what it takes to make a, you know, a second journey back to the title. Because let's not forget, Arnold Allen is 
um, ranked number seven. You know, he's in the top ten, and he doesn't get there um, for nothing. He's undefeated in the UFC. So for him to be there, I don't think it's a good idea to, to sleep on Arnold Allen, but the, the pros that you say that Dan Hooker has really does work in his favour, and, yeah, it's, it's that reach. It's that reach that Dan Hooker is going to have to use because sometimes, to be fair, Dan Hooker does have the reach in fights but doesn't use it. He does like to fight in the pocket. He does use, like to use, you know, those um, body-to-body knees and those, those, those hooks and uppercuts that come out of nowhere. So sometimes Dan Hooker does like that pocket, but I think to his advantage he does really need to keep Arnold Allen at a distance. Now, uh, one of the other fights that I think uh, most people are looking forward to seeing is seeing uh, Paddy the Batty Pimlet back in action in the lightweight division up against Rodrigo Vargas. Uh, uh, but Paddy's already had a fight this weekend. Um, he, he got into it uh, in the lobby of the London Hotel they're staying in with Elia Tapuria. I don't know if you've seen this story. I haven't seen it, actually. No, I've been fully focused on our Kiwi fighters at the moment, but I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Ilya uh, has posted, I warned you, this is what happens when you disrespect me and my country. You saw me and wanted to greet me because you est your pants, and you should thank my team, because if it wasn't for them separating me, I would have taken your head off. Oh, Lordy. But I'll, I'll tell you, you telling me about the story, right? It brings that. It brings the eyes. It brings the attention to this UFC uh, card, doesn't it? The UFC hasn't been to the UK in nearly three years. The fans have been going nuts over ticket sales, so the hype around this card is doing pretty well because we don't really think of the UK and London as being these these big smack talkers, you know, these exciting ones. That, that you, if you look at the card, you know, UK fighters don't really stand out in terms of having that attitude and having that sense. So I think Paddy the Batty is one of the exceptions to that and having him on the card is going to draw that attention. A story like this will definitely help. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I, I think the last uh, English fighter or British fighter we had that, that talked this sort of smack is Michael Bisping, who's now behind the mic. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. He still does it now in commentary. Exactly, exactly. uh, Let's look at um, at, at Paddy's fight, though, because, I mean, he was so impressive in his uh, his UFC debut. Uh, You know, a lot of people talking about him as uh, potentially being uh, a title contender in the lightweight division. Uh, What do you want to see out of him against Vargas this weekend? You want him to obviously come out and, and do well. He's only had one fight in the UFC, so you have to remember that. So, the, the pressure to come out in front of a home crowd at the O2 nonetheless and do well. The pressure is well and truly on him, but he seems like one of those personalities that will rise to the occasion. And a lot of the time we forget that, you know, we all know that you don't get to the UFC for nothing. You come with the skill, you come with the experience. We know you can scrap, but it's that mental fortitude as well. And I think for him, and just thinking about the story you've told me, he's going to need a lot of that as well. Yes, bring the attitude. Yes, bring the sass. But when is it time to turn it off? zone in and get the job done. This will be an important fight for him. I think he is um, a fighter of the future. I think UK, London, England need another you know, prominent fighter on the big stage and he, he can very well be that. Yeah, he could be that, and uh, you're looking very much looking forward to this fight. Well, uh, obviously, we've talked a couple of the uh, uh, the lead-up fights to the main fight here, but uh, uh, the big one that everyone's looking forward to is seeing uh, Tom Aspinall uh, go head-to-head with Alexander Volkov. The Aspinall at number 11, a rising heavyweight. Alexander Volkov's 
a kind of a bit of a gatekeeper, isn't he, um, to to getting into those top rank fights? Um, Aspinall has looked impressive in the fight so far. I guess what we want to see here, Ravinda, is whether or not he can take that next step and and go toe to toe with someone like Alexander Volkov and get a win. Yeah, and I think he can. You know, he's he's coming out onto the main event, and he he very well can. This fight was kind of up in the air last UFC uh, UFC 272 there were talks that Volkov might not even be able to make the fight because of what's happening in the world at the moment uh, around Russia etc etc so you know there's been a little um, not discrepancy but there was a, you know a possible obstacle there so they've worked through that they're getting to the main card and, and again it's it's in front of a home crowd and if you're going to do well this will be it I think if we think back to you know our own fighters Dan Hooker you know the main one that stands out for him in his career was that you know, that real war that he went into with Paul Fowler at Spark Arena in front of an Auckland crowd, those home fights can really, you know, solidify you in the UFC. And this is his chance to do that as well. And and to be the main event in the O2 Arena in front of an absolute crazy crowd um, will, will just be, I think, the motivation he needs to get him to that next level because I think he's been kind of still for a little while, Aspinall, and this is his chance to go to that next level and really prove he can be a title contender. I mean, for Volkov, I think, you know, the uh, going into this fight, uh, you always back yourself, but I, th- I think, you know, from a strategic point of view, you just want to um, survive the first round because Aspinall's average fight time in his UFC career is two minutes 45. He's never been taken deep. Uh, so I think of you, Volkov, that's, that's what you want to try and do, right? You want to stay in there for the first round. You want to take him deep and see if his conditioning can hold. Yeah, that's right. You do. And, I mean, Volkov, is, <laughs> he's no joke. He's, he's strong. He's durable and um, has proven that he can stand with the best of them. And if he can withstand that, I, th- I think he can. I think that this um, perhaps might be on Aspinall's kind of duration he might control that aspect of the fight but if Volkov can you know weather the storm and take him a bit deeper then I think he'll have a bit more success because people don't take into consideration time in the octagon and the, and the minutes that you're spending in there and to experience a fight from absolute start to absolute finish is a real contrast to, to getting you know quicker finishes so if he can take him to those deeper rounds into the unknown then, yeah, he could have a clear advantage there. Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, the rest of the card, um, I mean, there is, there's, there's a great prelim card as well on this. We're getting to see lots of fighters we haven't seen in a while, as you mentioned, of course, uh, the UK uh, hosting for the first time in a while. But one of those on the main card is uh, seeing uh, Molly McCann fighting again in the uh, the women's flyweight against uh, Luana Carolina. Yeah, that's right. The flyweight division is a pretty exciting one. And I was... I was very, very interested to see if they would have any women on this card at all. To be fair, I feel like um, when things kind of happen in the world, it's the women's um, UFC fights that don't really get the chance to, to step up. So it's great to see that there is this flyweight fight here. And there's, uh, again, another great uh, opportunity to be there in front of a home crowd and to do really well and to make a name for themselves as well because the flyweight division is maybe one of the more quiet ones 
um, for the women. So, yeah, it's going to be an exciting matchup as well. It will be. Uh, it feels like she might have been thrown a bit of a curveball here, old Meatball McCann, because, uh, you know, we know that she likes to stand and bang. She's not a fighter that likes to go to the ground. But her Brazilian opponent has a seven-inch reach advantage on her. Uh, and, you know, we know Brazilian fighters, they like to grapple. I, I think this could be a tough, tough fight for Molly McCann. And I don't uh, mind the like of, uh, I don't mind the look of uh, Luana Carolina taking the W here. Yeah, no, not at all. And these are the fights you love to watch, right? Two contrasting styles coming together and to see who can impose their fight strategy first. I'd love to see a submission in this fight. I'd love to see it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I think uh, with the fights that are surrounding them, we're going to get a lot of stand and bang. So <laughs> if the women can bring this and, you know, a great convincing submission would be a great element to the card. And also, you know, an exciting finish means that there's a lot of eyes on that fight as well. And I, I can't uh, stress enough how much I like to, you know, um, maybe promote uh, the female fight on the, <laughs> on the yeah. card as well. I'm a little biased, of course. But um, I'd love to see a submission in this fight. It's absolutely um able to happen but yeah when you're a stand and bang type fighter you probably you know have the better um takedown defense as well so you know that will be in play also but i'd love to see a submission in this way i actually i'll put down a prediction for that one yeah do that do that hey uh, listen i know uh, um you've been keeping an eye on the kiwi fighters and, and and seeing what they're doing um when do you think we might see shane young uh fight again in the ufc not too sure, actually. Um, I've been to um, City Kickboxing Gym. He's been there. He's training um, with the likes of um, Izzy, Blood, Carlos, Dan, uh, Kai, Brad. Um, so he's in the mix. He's there um, waiting in the wings. He did, you know, put up that um, post, a little teaser as to, you know, of, of his comeback of sorts. So I'm interested to see what his journey is here. CKB kind of like to keep a lid on uh, those types of things until they know for sure that plans are in place, but it would be exciting to see uh, a return for Shane Young, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to that. Hopefully it's not too far away. Hey, Ravinda, thank mm. you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate it, and uh, looking forward to your coverage on Sky Sport from 9 o'clock on Sunday morning of uh, of this UFC fight night out of London. You're very, very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime, anytime. Ravinda Hunia there from Sky Sport. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball sitting in. We are 17 past 11. Stephen McKay for joining us shortly. Uh, Lamborghini racer Brendan Leach, who is racing in the GT World Challenge at the moment, but he announced this past week that he's going to race for, an, for another you know, a Lamborghini in the Super Trofeo Europe Championship. He's uh, going into a, uh, it's pretty cool, I'm looking at the picture right now just to make sure I know what I'm talking about. It's a red and black uh, Lambo, which is, when you think about red and black, you love black, it's a bit of a red, and you'd look even better, mate, with red and black. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, uh, it's the CrowdStrike, it's the Evo 2, so it's the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Europe Championship. So he's pretty excited, so he's uh, hopping on a plane to Barcelona uh, later on tonight, so we're hoping to get him before he has to go through security, have a chat to him about that. We're also going to talk to a guy called Scott Wilkins. If you watched last night, and I'm sure you did, although you do so much, you probably didn't have time to do it. If you watched Speed last night, we talked about a guy called Scott Wilkins who broke the land speed record earlier this month on a, a, a bike. His Kawasaki Ninja. Now, this is here's how, here's how just bonkers you have to be to do this. He did it on Gowdy's Road, which is in Ripperow, which is, I think, where... Uh, Owen Evans had that horrible crash years ago, breaking the land speed record. Obvious hell. Anyway, have a listen to this. 
his one run a one way was 364.5 <laughs> kilometres an hour. Now, just put that into context, right? 364.5 kilometres an hour. That is, and that's a bumpy road, and you're on two wheels. That's a crazy fast. I, 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 I years ago saw somebody on, I, I think a GSXR 1100 doing the, the um, doing the Bathurst track on it and going down that uh, that last straight. Oh, uh, you know yeah, the downhill. Conrad, and, yeah, down Conrad. Conrad. Forget, and he, he had a he, he had a he had a camera sitting on the speedo, and I think he got up to about three twenty um, on that bike. Yeah. And I was like, that is just insane. But yeah, you know, when you're talking an extra 40, 40 and a bit clicks. Well, well, that's as fast. Let me let's try and put that in perspective. That's I think I think that's faster than F one car. Because I think F one cars when they're really honking get up to around three thirty. If I'm right, I could be wrong. But, you know, 160 k's is 100 miles an hour. 320 is 200 miles an hour. Uh, work it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, also, and we're also going to talk um, superbikes and testing, because superbikes isn't too far away in the sky, along with British superbikes and our far, friend of the show, part of the show, Avalon Biddle out of Christ, is going to yarn about what's been going on and um, how some of the hot shots like um, Jonathan Ray and Top Rack Ratsangioglu have been doing. He's the defending champion of World Superbikes. have been going and testing. So, and of course, we're going to give away the Repco beer pong table. Oh, outstanding, outstanding. Yeah, we, we, all they're going to do is either text us on the Temper Beer Post text line double eight double three, or ring us because we like to talk to people as you do, um, and tell us who they would like to take them around a track on two wheels. I, can't, I haven't got the list in front of me. I think it was Valentino Rossi. Uh, Mark Marquez, uh, Aaron Slight, and one other. Yeah, and right. They can tell us that and go on the draw. Who would you like to take? Oh, I think it was just who would you like to take around the track? Yeah, so stuff that for a joke. Murph said he's been on the back of a superbike with Aaron Slight and said, yeah, nah, yeah, nah, thanks, son. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking if I was on the back of a bike with, say, the professor, he'd just be doing wheel stands the whole way around. I think the weight balance would oh. be off. Oh, mate, it would, be, it, would, it would be plain scary. So that's what we've got tonight from 9 p.m. Remind people, 9 p.m. on a Wednesday, not a Thursday. Hopefully next week we're back to normal, and we've already got um, SVG booked in for next week. Oh, superb. We'll look forward to it. Hey, thanks very much for coming on, Stephen, and good luck with the show tonight with Murph from 9 o'clock. Thanks, Broski. Cheers, uh, Stephen McIver there from Race Control, one half of it, alongside, of course, uh, Greg Murphy. And no, no doubt they'll probably talk a little bit F1 as well with uh, Lewis Hamilton changing his name, apparently. That's, that's the latest thing. Um, Logan, ever, ever thought about changing your name? Actually, funnily enough, you bring that up. I did when I was in high school. Uh, I mean, people that have been listening to the show for the last couple of weeks since I um, came into the fold here at SCNZ, You'll know that my name is Swinkles, which is a little bit different. In, in high school, it's one of those names where you kind of it gets a lot of different variations and a lot of nicknames, and I, I just kind of got sick of it. Uh, and I was for the longest time thinking of changing my name to Hasten, which is my mum's uh, maiden name, which is my granddad's name, and he was an awesome rugby league player back in the day. But as I got older, uh, and I guess people got more mature, they were like, you know what, Swinkles is a cool name, so I, I kept it. So never double barreled it like uh, Lewis Hamilton is thinking. No, no, don't don't double barrel. Don't avoid the double barrel at all at all costs. I think uh, personally, but uh, yeah, having grown up with the surname Ball. I feel your pain, 
And uh, people don't always mature. I, I remember my first year of playing senior football, uh, the old man was still playing. And uh, he was, I think, 37 and I was 17. And we are in the same team. And the old man's nickname with my surname, or our surname of being Paul, his nickname was Testy. And so I was Testy too. Um, and so that's how that's how the maturity had gotten. Those guys were all, uh, you know, in their twenties and thirties. <laughs> I I don't know what to come back with that. That is just outstanding. As far as that game go, it was pretty good. To be fair, yeah, that was quite creative. I enjoyed that. I mean, you are asking for it. Your last name is Ball. You've been in sports media for how long? You know, it's just it's all coming there for you, mate. Yeah, I just had to. Had, you just have to embrace it. You just have to embrace it. That is all that you can do. Hey, listen, we've got uh, stumped with Ricardo or stumped by Ricardo coming up shortly, and uh, it's jackpot. It's a hundred dollars worth of TAB vouchers plus sleep drops, of course, as well. So if you want to get in on this, uh, give us a call now on 0800-150-811, 0800-150-811. If you want to play Stumped by Ricardo, uh, do we know, Logan, uh, what sport options that we're going to give them today? I know usually, normally it's three. Oh, we're going to give a tease here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but different. Track and field. Yep. Netball. Mm-hmm. And... Soccer football is the other one. And soccer football. Okay, so 0800-150-811, 0800-150-811. Stumped by Ricardo. We've got that coming up shortly. You can win yourself $100 worth of TAB vouchers and some sleep drops. Uh, watch and bet live on your favourite sports and racing at tab.co.nz. Please gamble responsibly. The latest in news and sport next with Aroha. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yes, it is time for Stumped, and it is a big one today, as Ricardo alluded to uh, just before the news break there. Ricardo had his maiden stumping yesterday. You must still be buzzing from that one, Rick Dog. Oh, mate. Oh, you know, I, I felt a bit gutted uh, for for the bloke who, who, who missed out. Um, was, it, was it Brad yesterday? And, um, you know, I, I, but you're just doing your job. That's what you're there to do. <laughs> you're just doing your job. Yeah, mate. Haters going to hate. Look, that does mean, though, that the prize pool has jackpot today. $100. A TAB vouchers are up for grabs, along with some sleep drops. Daytime revive. Try New Zealand sleep drops.co.nz for all ages, lifestyle stages, and sleeping challenges. Always read the label and take as directed. Sleep drops Auckland. That's what you could win. And joining us now at the crease is James from Christchurch. Come in, James. How you doing? Good, mate. You all ready to get in on this action? Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm hoping for those sleep drops, mate. I've got four young kids. I could, I could do with some daytime revive. <laughs> four? I mean, I've got one, and I think it's a challenge. Oh, mate, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> the wife does most of it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I'm sure she'll love that. All right, so we have three sporting categories to choose from today. If you can answer all three questions correctly, then you win it all. But if you get a question wrong, then it's over to, over to Ricardo. If you get stumped by him within the first two questions, it's on to the next caller in line. Get stumped on the final question, and we jackpot again. Now, of course, as you heard earlier, today's topics are track and field, netball, and soccer football. Take your pick. Uh, we'll go netball, I think. Oh, good choice. Here we go. Good. This ties in quite nicely, uh, James, because of course SCNZ, we launched a brand new netball podcast this week called Centre Pass, uh, featuring my good friend Storm Purvis. First question is about her, actually. How many National League games has Storm Purvis played in her career before retiring at the end of the 2020 season? 
Um, initially games in total. Yep. So yeah. that career spreads across the Southern Steel, Northern Mystics, and Northern Stars. We'll go uh, 73. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. You're warming up those gloves, Ricardo. It's up to you. Yeah, I, I did see this the other day when I was um, obviously I, I didn't know Storm, and now I have to do a uh, you know a show. Well, I don't have to do a show, but I'm doing a show with her and seeing a path. So I was looking her up to find out um, some uh, some things about her, and I, I think I remember it being around in the '80s somewhere. I'm going to say '89. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Add another ten to that. It was 99 games. Ah, I got the nine right. So you're still alive, James. Uh, but perhaps probably a tough question to start off. Maybe this next one will be a little bit easier. Who is the most capped silver fern of all time? Uh, the most capped silver fern of all time. Uh, be someone Van Dyke. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Ricardo, I'm going to say Casey, uh, Casey Kalpur. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. And that is why on, Storm guys, Purvis is in on. on the netball show. <laughs> what are you? A couple of netball experts here. Yeah, clearly, clearly a couple of netball experts. Uh, actually, the <laughs> most capped silver fern of all time is Laura Langnam. 163. Uh, so, again, you're still in it, James. On to the final question. Formed in 1999, the Waikato Bay Plenty Magic are an amalgamation of which two National League teams name them? Oh, the the white the Bay of Plenty and the Waikato. Um, yeah, what's their like the nickname? Uh, the, not the region, the, what's the nickname? The the, the Bay of Plenty Magic and the Waikato Wildcats. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot <laughs> and the way it goes. May Brian has been so excited this morning. Yeah, that is correct, James. Congratulations. Thanks, mate. There you go. There you go, James. Good time. $100 worth of TAB vouchers coming your way. Uh, have you got anything you lined up uh, for that? For those, do you think? I'd, I'd, I'd probably have a crack on the Blues Crusaders game, but I'm hearing it might be cancelled. Mate, get on the draw now if you can. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm going to They'll pay out on that, you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it might, might be a tough one, mate. It might be a tough one. You obviously yeah. in Christchurch, you're a Crusaders fan, mate. What did you make of the loss to the Chiefs? Um, yeah, I've, I'm always disappointed by the way that we defended and, you know, held them out for so long. And, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's a championship winning team defence there, even if they did, they did come in right at the end, you know. So... I wasn't overly unhappy, you know. Um, just yeah, disappointed to lose, but I think I think we'll still be alright this season. Yeah, mate, that defense was just extraordinary. I it's just amazed how long they held out for. Exactly, and that's and yeah, they did. They held them out for so long, and they just not enough in the end. But um, they certainly didn't wilt un, under the pressure, you know. So no, I, I think think Crusaders will be alright this year if. If we end up finishing the season, who knows? Yeah, well, that, there is that. I mean, to be honest, I actually think if the Blues-Crusaders game this weekend doesn't go ahead, it might be a bit of a blessing in disguise for the Crusaders. They made 240 tackles in that Chiefs game, which is double what you'd normally make in a Super Rugby game. So, you know, it might have uh, they, they, a week off might actually do them all right. Yeah, a week off, because, I mean, we've got the Chiefs, I think, coming up again next week, and then we've got another another New Zealand game. So, yeah, a week off wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but... 
Oh, I still, no, I wouldn't have any, any fears that we wouldn't be able to take the Blues down this weekend if it, if it did go ahead, but... Yeah, I'd be hitting up those ice those ice baths if I was the Crusaders. <laughs> Rest up those tiring bodies. Again, James, congratulations, mate. The $100 TAB vouchers are going to come your way along with the Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. Hold the line, and Brian will get you details. Thanks for playing Stumped. Yeah, cheers, James. Thanks very much. Uh, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Ricardo Ball in for him. We're going to catch up with Sam Hewitt shortly and uh, see what's coming up. He's covering Staff's show uh, all this week here on SENZ. Sorry about the noise. My neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto? Don't work on your deck. Play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck. Low maintenance with a 25-year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.